0: Hello, my name is Alex Rakkeen. I'm a barrister at 13 and Essex Chamber specialising in mental capacity law. And what I want to do with you now is provide a kind of update in light of the government's announcement in December, 2021, of a delay to the implementation of the Liberty Protection Safeguards, which we'd anticipated were coming into force in April 2022. Although I have to say it's been apparent for really quite some number of months now, it being December 2021, that that simply was impossible. So what I want to do is think through, in as much as possible, how can we start to apply Liberty Protection Safeguards thinking now, even though it's not in force? And how can we start to prepare ourselves as best as possible, so that when Liberty protection safeguards do come into force, we can be in the best place possible to work with them. So to do that, I want to share some slides. And here we go. So what can we do right here, right now? First and foremost, we can um, think about ensuring we know about the legal framework. Obviously, the legal framework starting with the Mental Capacity Act. And I'll come back to that at the beginning, at the end, rather. And then also the meaning of deprivation of liberty. So deprivation of liberty, I've got an entire separate shed on that, you can find on my website, thinking through the aspects relating to that. So the acid test of confinement, not free to leave, subject to continuous supervision and control, the person not being able to consent, and then the state either being directly responsible because it's in the state-funded arrangements, state institution or state-funded care, or the state knows or ought to know about it in a private situation. And all of that applying from 16 plus. So there's a dedicated share to know about that. And then making sure we've got confidence as to how to take the steps to authorize deprivation liberty, both inside dolls, 18 plus care homes and hospitals, outside dolls. So anybody else, so 16 plus or outside care homes and hospitals, how we can think about that. And then making sure that we can think about how to apply those frameworks under COVID-19. I'm not going to talk more about that in this presentation. I've done a dedicated presentation about applying the MCA under COVID-19. And as I say, how can we start to apply some Liberty Protection Safeguards thinking there? So just to remind you, deprivation, liberty, Confinement, restricted space for a non-negligible period of time. Confinement, the acid test laid down by Lady Hale. Not free to leave subject to continuous supervision and control. The subjective element either can't, that's the cohort of people I'm really talking about here, do not have the capacity to consent or won't give consent. That's a different category of people. Imputable to the state, state directly responsible or knows or ought to know about something going on in a private facility or private situation, someone's own home, say. Why does it matter? Well, the deprivation of liberty presentation goes into a lot more detail about why this matters. Can I just bring, for these purposes, something right home? I want to just talk, as it were, pounds, shillings and pence consequences, not just the consequences for the person consequences for organizations because one of the issues that we experience now is that sometimes people feel this is all rather consequence free in terms of public bodies and so kind of why does any of this matter it does matter and I really want to bring home this from an organizational perspective so that those people within organizations could be banging the drum saying we need to do something here so to do that, I just need to talk to you a little bit about what what sometimes called the difference between substantive and procedural breaches of Article 5, of the European Convention on Human Rights. So Article 5 guarantees you the right to liberty, which can only be removed subject to a number of conditions under, uh, in particular, a procedure prescribed by law. So that means there's a procedure to give checks and balances What happens if we have got the situation where somebody has been deprived of their liberty and that procedure hasn't been followed? So for instance, the Dole's application hasn't been considered by the local authority in time, or an application hasn't been made to court to authorize deprivation of liberty. The courts do approach the situation differently depending on whether it's a procedural breach. So in other words, the procedures haven't been followed, but actually you've suffered no harm in consequence and a substantive breach. The procedures haven't been followed. And in fact, you've ended up in a position where you shouldn't have been deprived of your liberty. So Bostridge is an example of the first situation. In Mr. Bostridge's case, at all times, he did in fact need to be detained in this mental health hospital because he was mentally in a state of mental health crisis. And he didn't say, I didn't need to be here. The problem was that the the relevant paperwork had effectively lapsed, so he was unlawfully detained. The Court of appeal said he was entitled to nominal damages, so that's one pound in damages, to vindicate the fact he had been unlawfully deprived of his liberty, but to recognise the fact he hadn't, hadn't suffered any harm. Contrast that with these two cases. I'm actually going to start with the last one, RF, because that was settled by agreement. So in other words, there wasn't a fight about it. But in that case, the local authority recognised uh, really after the event, long after, substantially after the event, that they shouldn't have removed this man from his home. RF, the best opening line of any court protection judgment, 91-year-old man, former gunner in the RAF, gave a lot of money to charity, had a cat called Fluffy, brings home, we are talking about real people. Local authority had removed him really to address safeguarding concerns and respect to potential financial abuse, placed him in a care home, hadn't actually sought or authorised the situation, and then in fact he shouldn't have been there. And you can see there the the court approved an award of £60,000 to recognise the fact that he should not have been deprived of his liberty, plus costs, plus repayment of the care home fees which the local authority had had charged RF. And that conduct was described as reprehensible. In some ways that can be seen as an example of the local authority forgetting the first law that Sir James Mumby gave us in this context. What what is the point in keeping someone safe if you merely make them miserable? With the best of intentions, they have completely overreacted. Ms. Emile's case is slightly different, but actually in a way really even more relevant for the sort of situation we're talking about, because Ms. Emile's case was a situation where the local authority hadn't brought the state of affairs about, but they hadn't authorized it. Ms. Emile's case actually arises in, 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 it was brought or was discussed under the heading of false imprisonment rather than deprivation of liberty. There's a whole complicated argument about how those two things interact, but in it, as it were, teaching purposes, it doesn't really matter, because the critical point was that at all times, Ms. had been in a care home where she hadn't had the deprivation of her liberty authorised. And the local authority fought the case tooth and nail, saying, why should we have to pay any damages? They've said, for instance, the law kept changing. Well, that's sort of true. Cheshire West clarified what the law meant, but actually, Ms Emil had always fallen within the scope of those individuals identified as de- to being deprived of liberty and local authority hadn't taken steps required of it. And the judge said, the basic problem here is I can't be satisfied, you haven't shown me, you, local authority, haven't shown me that at all times Ms Emil needed to be there. We don't know whether she really needed to be in that care home deprived of liberty and awarded £143,000 in damages after a fight. So. The critical point is it's going to be on the body which is responsible to show that no harm is caused. I have deliberately used the words responsible body there. Those of you who know something about liberty protection safeguards will know that's a term which appears in it. I'm not using it necessarily in exactly that term, but I'm doing something deliberately to cover the fact there might be two different things going on here. One might be that it's the organization which is actually holding the person. The other is it might be not the organisation or the place which is holding the person, say, the care home, but the local authority who hasn't authorised. And the courts might well take the view that both are responsible. One has actually got the person and in principle could always let them go. The other is the organisation who Parliament has said in those context, should be authorising care home hospital and hasn't done their job in time. But both bodies are potentially on the hook and of course if it's a situation where for instance a CCG is arranging care in someone's home under continuing health care in England hasn't taken steps to uh, obtain proper authority from the court the CCG is responsible. The NHS continuing healthcare framework makes it clear the CCG is responsible for seeking authority. At all times can you show this person actually needed to be here and is suffering no harm? If you can't real damages, consequences should follow. One way of thinking about this and to apply, um, start, well, not quite LPS thinking, but one way of thinking about this to identify, well, how do we know which side of the line this person is, is the approach which is already in section four B the Mental Capacity Act, which says, if you have made an application to court, you are allowed to deprive the person of liberty in order to carry out life-sustaining treatment or carry out a so-called vital act. In other words, prevent a serious deterioration in their condition. Once you've made an application to court in a situation which wasn't covered by dolls, authority to deprive the person of their liberty exists until that application is determined by the court, and so long as at all times those are conditions are met. So carrying out life-sustaining treatment, preventing a serious deterioration in the person's condition. That to me is a very good way of analyzing. Is this a situation which might look like a procedural breach? Or is this a situation which might look like a substantive breach? So those are some thoughts that, as it were, how to think carefully about all of these situations we need to be worried about, which ones do we need to be particularly worried about? That's just to give you the most recent Doll stats in, in December 2021 in England. It is, to be honest, amazing people manage to keep doing this work at any level during the height of the first wave of the pandemic. But it is really important to note the average length of time for completed applications in England and in England was 148 days. The longest an urgent authorisation could last for is 14 days. So everyone in day 15 to day 148 is unlawfully deprived of their liberty in a care home or hospital. If their application has been sought and has yet to be granted. So that's where this section 4B test really needs to come in. You can see there's a major acute hospital problem, the bottom one, 60,000 applications not granted. Some of those are because the person has either died or got better and gone home. Some of these are because cases are being sought, authorities being sought, where people are really actually in the carve out identified, and I talk more about in the deprivation of Liberty Shedena, the carve out where the person isn't actually to be seen to be deprived of their liberty because they're getting immediately necessary life-saving physical health treatment under exactly the same conditions they would be on, uh, uh, it would be delivered under if they had capacity to agree to them. So there are some applications which simply shouldn't be being made in that context. There's more guidance in the deprivation liberty schedule now. So I said I would think a bit about how to apply LPS thinking now. So. It's really important to understand liberty protection safeguards are not enforced. The 2019 Mental Capacity Amendment Act isn't in force. So you can't rely on, for instance, what we're going to be able to rely on in future, the so-called emergency deprivation liberty provision. I would say it is actually very misleading. The legislation.gov.uk website has the Mental Capacity Act as amended by the 2019 amendments bringing liberty protection safeguards without making clear that some bits of it aren't yet in force. So you need to be careful to be aware that you can't say it's an emergency, I'm depriving you of your liberty, and then rely on section 4b mental capacity. I'm afraid that's just not in force yet. But you can start to applying LPS thinking now. If you're in a dolls context, you can really front load. You can really front load by thinking very carefully, and you should already be doing this to be honest, about does this person really need to be confined? Are there other things we could do which could mean this person doesn't need to be subject to continuous supervision control and control not free to leave? Really thinking about this capacity issue. Does this person have capacity to consent to these arrangements, in particular, the arrangements which confine them? And they, all of this should be done at the point of care planning. The more the, the work can be done at the care planning stage, Care Act, for instance, Social Services Wellbeing Act, the more that can be done, the more it is possible for the best interest assessor to be guided a great deal in thinking about these situations by the work which has already been done. There do needs to be, there does need to technically be a fresh determination about capacity, mental disorder, whether the deprivation of liberty is in the person's best interest and necessary and proportionate to the risk of harm so they otherwise. But the work can be guided a great deal by the stuff which was actually done first time around. And always remember, and this really is the main point of LPS when it comes in, if you do the work right first time around, you may well go, actually, we don't need to bring about the state of affairs which we're seeking authority for. Rather than bring about the state of affairs and then several weeks potentially later, if not months later, best interest assessor comes along and says, well, this situation shouldn't have happened, but it's too late now. So front-loading as much as possible is better for the person it also means that the, the work which does need to be done as part of the DOLS process, which does technically need to be fresh stuff, can really build on work which has already been done. So the minimum duplication. Really thinking clearly about the capacity test here. The dolls capacity test is very odd because on the face of it, it's talking about residents and care for purposes of receiving care and treatment. It doesn't actually answer the thing you might think we're most bothered about, that the person's confined, can they consent? The LDV case, I note there. The LDV case said several years ago now, information which is relevant to the dolls capacity test, and that also, by the way, extends outside the court, uh, the dolls setting to situations where people are going to have applications made to court. The relevant information includes: Do you understand? Can you use retain? Can you use and weigh the fact that you are not free to leave and you're subject to continued supervision and control? It's really very simple. If you're confined, can you genuinely consent to that confinement? Which means, can you process the fact you're confined? So that information is already there as part of the dolls test. It's just rather hidden, but being brought out by the court. In due course, LPS will make that express. And then really thinking very clearly about necessity and proportionality. The dolls best interest test, I have to say is very odd. It's really quite difficult to see what best interest is really doing there in many situations because it's not really best interest as in the choice between the two available options. It's actually, this is what's on the table. Do we really, can we really say this is the right thing? And necessity and proportionality is really where you get into that. In due course, LPS won't make the fiction about best interests here by pushing best interests upstream to the point where we're thinking there might be two options, which is in the person's best interests. LPS really focuses on the confinement aspect. We can start being really clear about that now. So one way of thinking about necessity and proportionality, necessity is could. Could I even justify this? Is there even a risk at all to the person? Should is, well, there might be a risk, but is it actually really worth it to deprive this person of liberty? Am I just going to make the situation worse? Can I also just emphasize this is about risk to the person. If you are thinking about the situation where the real risk is to other people, please don't think about dolls here. Dolls is really challenging because dolls is really focused on risk to the person. If you're in a situation where it looks more like public protection, please go and consult your legal department because the likelihood is you will need to go to the court of protection, which isn't limited down in this way by this really narrow focus, really important focus on risk of harm to the person. So you really can start applying at LPS thinking now and beginning to think about LPS, categories who are going to be relevant to LPS in future. Is the person CHC funded? Are they social care funded? That's actually important. I say it's not relevant to dolls. It is actually important outside dolls at the moment right here, right now. As I said, the NHS continuing healthcare framework says if a CCG, or relatively soon an integrated care board is, going, is responsible for a deprivation of it, for funding arrangements giving rise to a deprivation it, it is already its responsibility to make sure that's authorised. If it's in a care home, that's already taken care of under dolls. But if it's in the community, the CCG should be making application to court. And that last thing, I can't keep making big enough clear about this, please help children's services get up to speed with the Mental Capacity Act. The Supreme Court in RED in 2019 told us, when you hit 16, if you're confined and you can't, cons- stay, you can't consent, the state is responsible in one way or another, nobody can consent on your behalf. Specifically, a person with parental responsibility can't say, I'm content with the situation, therefore it's not a debt price, liberty. There's a shed and I've done there with a very good colleague of mine, solicitor colleague of mine called Camilla Parker, thinking through, how we think about that situation. Because my major concern at this point is, well, it's, it's not just applications aren't being made to authorize these situations, is that people don't even recognize that the, the, the young people in these situations should be thought about as being deprived of their liberty. So community deprivation of liberty is the only way to get authority to deprive someone of their liberty outside the scope of dol's. So these are applications to court. We've done a guidance note about this that you can find on our chamber's website. I'll show you the, the thing at the end, link at the end. It's also very good L- preparation for LPS. To Frankly, the easiest way to think about LPS is it's exactly the same as an application to court to authorise community deprivation liberty. The difference is it goes, it's housed within a responsible body rather than going to the judge. Otherwise, it's the same. You're thinking about. Are these arrangements confined in a person? Does the person have capacity to consent? Do they have a mental disorder? Is it really necessary and proportionate to detain them, to, to confine them? You need to have consulted with people interested in their welfare to find out their views. You need to have identified someone who could act as their champion. In, uh, if a community doll applications is a so-called rule 1.2 representative, LPS is going to be appropriate person or IMCO. Someone is going to bang the drum. All of that stuff is done. At the moment that is routed to court in due course will be routed within the responsible body. And a quite crude way of thinking about this is if there's a situation which is in due course going to have the relatively light touch scrutiny under the Liberty Protection safeguards, that is a situation where the court will consider it without a hearing. If this is a situation where there's reason to believe the person might not want to be there, to be cared for, or to live there, or there's some other factor, the court will have to have a hearing. It's crude, it's not exactly that, exactly mapping across, but that is one way of thinking about how this is going to track through to LPS and due course this LPS style of thinking. So this is really good training. It's also the only way to get authority to deprive someone of liberty outside doors. And that section 4B, this applies already. When the application is made, there is authority so long as it's necessary to provide life-sustaining treatment, or you reasonably believe it's necessary to prevent a serious deterioration in person's condition. So beginning to prepare for LPS, all of these that are important, the top four, the bottom one is crucial. Strengthening knowledge to mental capacity. Otherwise, we are just completely wasting our time. And this is stuff we can do right here, right now. Thinking about how to think better about capacity, how to think better about best interests. For what it's worth, I've done shed and on both of those you can find on my website. So these are things we can do now. We don't need to be going, oh, we can't do anything because we don't know when LPS is coming in. This is stuff we should be doing now. It will make the transition to LPS Easier in due course, but it will also mean we're doing our job better at this point. So, very lastly, some resources. That top link there is the mental capacity uh, resources page on our Chamber's website. You can find the cases I've been talking about, like LDV and ReD, there. You can also find guidance notes, including on so called community deprivation liberty applications, and then a range of other resources there for you. Thank you very much indeed for watching.